0: this morning we'll be in psalm 119 it's page 514 in the bibles on the rose psalm 119 verses 97 through 104 oh how i love your law it is my meditation all the day your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me i have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we do, we know that we need your work in our lives. We need your spirit to open our eyes, to work your truth deep into us. We pray that you would do that this morning and that you would give us a deeper love for you through your word, for your glory and for our good and joy, we pray. Amen. Charles Spurgeon once said and wrote of John Bunyan, Prick him anywhere, and you will find that his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the Word of God. Doesn't that sound wonderful? But maybe also a bit daunting, convicting, maybe even a bit burdensome. Because we realize that if you prick us, we might bleed Seinfeld quotes or sports statistics or something else that really doesn't have much lasting value in life. Now, to get to a place like this, like Spurgeon described Bunyan, would be incredible, but it would take resolve and discipline. Jonathan Edwards, who probably could be described as a man who, if you pricked him, he would read, bleed the Bible, but also as one who was very disciplined in life, he wrote in one of his 70 resolutions these words, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. He took seriously the reading, study, and meditation on Scripture. In an earlier resolution, he wrote, Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can, with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. He was a person who had some push and some drive and some discipline. He longed to see growth. One more resolution, he put, Resolved to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. Edwards longed to make himself more ready for an eternity with God. He wanted to see conformity to the image of Christ in his own life visibly grow each week. He wanted to have no regrets about how he spent his time or his energy in this life. And he also knew that it was difficult, and if he didn't resolve to do it, it wouldn't just happen. He knew very well it was warfare to fight for joy, to fight for happiness, to fight to love the world over the pull of the love of the world and the flesh and the devil. So as we come to the end of 2023 and we start a new year tomorrow, I thought it would be good and appropriate to look at an integral aspect to our fight for joy in this world and the next. And that is meditation. Specifically, meditation on God's word, on his truth, on his character, on his promises, on the life and work of Jesus Christ. We're encouraging everyone, you've heard this, everyone to take part in reading through the Bible uh, this year, us- utilizing the one year chronological Bible. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about being able to discuss that with others throughout the year. But I will say that simply reading will not bring the most benefit. We need to recover what it is to meditate on God's Word. And so this morning, I hope to work through that, basically what it is, how it's done, and what it does for us. What it is, how it's done, and, how, and, and what it does for us. And so my, my longing is for us to love God more deeply through His Scriptures to us and to see that, that meditation is a key aspect in that. Now, quite often, I think it's helpful in defining something to make clear what it isn't. Because when we hear the word meditation today, I personally think there's some baggage with that word. Even even a shying away from it in many ways in Christian circles, at least a misunderstanding of the term. If you went to the app store on your phone and you typed in meditation and just hit search, you're going to get a large amount of apps that come up apps that will will promise you relief from stress and anxiety and depression, techniques for breathing, some with an Eastern religious angle, others that focus on meditation. If you have an Apple Watch, it comes pre-installed with an app that buzzes at you to remind you to breathe. Now, very specific breathing to be more mindful in things, and, and it will keep going unless you learn how to shut it off. I actually looked at the Mayo Clinic and how they described meditation. They portrayed it this way, as a very simple mind-body complementary medicine that can help you relax deeply and calm your mind. They listed benefits, types of meditation, as well as everyday ways to practice, and at least they listed prayer, though it was an extremely generic definition of prayer, But nothing even really came close to addressing what historically is biblical meditation because so often the the newer techniques, the newer ideas of meditation, especially Eastern meditation, it involves emptying yourself, emptying your minds, clearing everything out, stop everything, whereas biblical meditation is filling yourself with good things, with the Word of God with love for him, with truth, and and your affections and your mind and your heart with those proper things. So then what are we talking about when we use the term meditation? First three verses in the psalm. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Now, what's he talking about? There are a few words translated as meditate in the Old Testament. In Psalm 1, probably one of the most famous psalms, uh, it talks about meditating on your word all day long. I delight to meditate. That word is the Hebrew word chagah, and it's often used to refer to the sound of the cooing of a dove or the growling of a lion, right? or the, that low purr sound that, that you get. And so it, it, it's, it's come to, uh, to mean in meditation that, that low and slow recitation, um, reading of Scripture audibly, reading it over and over again, this, this low murmuring, constantly going over it, musing it, but it also involves an engagement of the mind. It's just not a recitation audibly, but it's an engagement of the mind. It's a deep musing over, over God's, God's Word, that's the word that we have in Psalm 119. It's, it's that deep thinking. It's saturating our lives at the moment with God's word and then keeping it with us. So it's a, it's a low murmuring. It's an audible, it's almost um, constant chewing over God's word and thinking deeply over it and keeping it with us. A couple definitions from the Puritans who, who had a better practice of meditation than modern Christians one is meditation is the serious exercise of the understanding whereby our thoughts are fixed on the observation of spiritual things in order to practice. Thomas Watson describes meditation as a holy exercise of the mind whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. So again, what we see here in, in meditation is not an emptying, but a filling of the mind and heart with the truth and and character of God and and His Word with spiritual things. And it is a consistent practice. The language of verse 97, it is my meditation all the day. Then in the next verse, he writes of it being ever with me. Meditation keeps God's Word and the way of truth with us. It's what we think about. It's what we ponder. It's what we continue to go over and over again. And this psalm, and really Psalm 1, they're descriptive. But Scripture is also prescriptive and commands it, if not explicitly, at least very much so strongly implicitly. Joshua 1, 8, and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. Now, one thing, notice the The connection there between shall not depart from your mouth, so this is speaking, and so it shall not depart, you you shall meditate on it day and night. So there's the speaking going with that meditation. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, this is given specifically to Joshua. But the principle abides for us in in keeping God's words on our mouth. And and he's given it to Joshua in the midst of having this this massive conquest of Canaan that he's saying, you're over that, but as you're over this entire conquest of the the promised land, you better keep the word of God on your mouth and meditate on it day and night. You could also turn to Colossians 3.16, where Paul commands, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So in order for the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, that would take meditation. That would take thinking upon, musing over, loving His Word. It has to be a part of our daily conversation with ourselves and with others. Now, another facet of meditation, and you saw that earlier in the definition, it said, you know, fixed on the observation of spiritual things in order to practice. Meditation goes hand in hand with obedience. Meditation that does not lead to practice, that does not lead to obedience, really probably isn't that helpful and maybe, may, may not even be biblical meditation. Look at Psalm 119 again, verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules. For you have taught me. You see that language there, keep, and and I, I hold back. I, I, I stay on this path. I, I stay on the, the, the narrow path, the road that you have laid out for me, following your commandments, and I keep myself from going off. I hold myself back from that because you've taught me. You've taught me through your word. This is obedience. But we also need to see, back in verse 97, that this is not a dispassionate, disconnected obedience. This is an obedience out of love. Okay, verse 97, oh, how I love your law. That's how the stanza begins. Oh, how I love your law. There's connection between the love of the law and meditation. Meditation will feed our love for the law, and our love would then in turn feed our obedience. It's all interconnected, and it will certainly then feed our love for God. So I think this is a good start as to what meditation is. But how do we actually put this into practice? How do we do it? How is it done? Now, I could be really simplistic here and merely say that it's thinking on scriptural truth over and over. There, we're done. I just don't think that's probably the most helpful thing for us. So I do want to give a little bit of instruction. However, I do this with a bit of reservation at the same time. Because you have to find a structure, a pattern that that, that fits you and actually works, If it isn't worked out and practiced, then the theory is nothing. If you don't execute this this practice of meditation, what good does it do you? So yes, maybe you can hear what other people do, but then you may have to adapt it a little bit to your routine, to your way of life, to how it works for you. But the key is, work at it. Be resolved to meditate on God's Word. I want to go back to Watson's description. He says, Meditation may be thus described. It is an holy exercise of the mind, whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. Now, Watson, as he writes about this, would point out two key aspects. One of the first aspects to, to being able to practice meditation is get away from the world. Okay? You cannot meditate well in a crowded space, in, in a complete noisy, crowded environment, and uh, in an area that's full of distraction. Now, granted, Watson did not have noise-canceling headphones, okay? And they are helpful. But you, you cannot do this well, um, especially, you might look a little weird if you're repeating God's words out loud in a coffee shop over and over, okay? It's, it's going to be harder to do. It's going to be harder to practice meditation in a place like that. So, so ponder the. uh, Think about the environment in which you'll do this. Now that points to a second aspect. Meditation involves serious thinking about God. It is serious thinking about God. You cannot simply think for a second or two and then you know let those thoughts just flitter away. It involves fixing and staying the mind upon God. And this takes serious work. There is is energy expended in meditation. There is energy expended in it, partly because there are some significant hindrances to the practice of meditation. Watson mentioned a few, and I'll add on a few more. First, meditation is simply contrary to flesh and blood. It's contrary to flesh and blood. We very naturally shun meditation on the holy. Now, to do so on other things that tends to come a little bit easier in our lives, okay? It tends to become a little bit easier. But fixing our thoughts on God is difficult. And he wrote, How do our hearts quarrel with this duty? What pleas and excuses have we to shift it off? The natural averseness from this duty shows we are to offer violence to ourselves in it. And when he says violence, he doesn't mean, like, smack yourself But do everything you can to to work at it, to, to understand that there are things fighting against you. Because the second point he says is Satan will do what he can to stop us. The reason it's so easy to meditate on other things is Satan doesn't give a rip if you do that. He's happy that you meditate on something else. He is not happy if you meditate on God's truth. So if it's something that's really easy, maybe we should think about that. Meditating on the person, the work of Christ, on his promises, on his grace, and his goodness. There is nothing that Satan would be more opposed to in our lives. Third, this could go with the first, but humanity is losing its ability to focus attention. Okay? I found a few statistics as I was looking at this. In 2000, now, now this is just one study. I don't know how provable it all is. But the average attention span in 2000 was 12 seconds. In 2015, it was 8.25. And the study actually showed that a goldfish has an attention span of 9 seconds. (laughs) Now, I don't know how they figure that out. But the reality is, is I think we all know that we are losing our ability to focus. Technology has, is ripping away our ability to focus and to think well. Okay? We are extremely distractible. The average office worker checks his, his or her email 30 times an hour. That's the average. The average user of their phone picks it up, take a wild guess, how many times a week? 1,500. Again, that's the average. When we come to an article on a web page, roughly the most that people read is 28% of an article. We have lost the ability to, 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 to read a long-form article. Everything is distractible. It's more, 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 more. We can get information very quickly, but we're not gaining knowledge because we we have forgotten how to meditate. I actually just listened to a podcast on technology and the Christian. It was wonderful. Talking about this whole idea, but but technology and, and things like that, they are distracting us. Technology distracts us from what we need. Now, it can be very helpful, but we also have to know that that there's two sides to it. Fourth, we just don't know how to meditate. We don't know what to do. It's fallen out of practice, and and we don't have great models in the discipline of meditation. So then, how does one meditate? What are some ways we can do so? First thing, have a plan. Okay, if you don't have a plan, you're not going to do it. It's pretty unlikely that you will ever have much profitable, spontaneous meditation. I'm not even sure those two words go together. As a church, we have a plan for reading scripture, but a plan for meditation is probably going to be a bit different. It's unlikely that you're going to meditate on three chapters or four chapters every single day. That's that's probably not going to happen as you read through the chronological plan. So be okay with smaller portions. Be okay with even meditating on something different than what we're reading through. And in fact, maybe that's where you should focus. And then find a quiet place. If you don't have one, make one. One mother in the faith used to the the story is that she would literally sit down at her kitchen table, throw her apron over her head and her kids knew, don't talk to mama when the apron's over her head. Because she's spending time with Jesus. Make that a rule. Figure out how to do that. Also, You're not going to meditate if you don't know the reason why you do it. If you just think, oh, well, Pastor Chad said we should meditate, great, that'll last you like uh, 30 minutes, maybe. George Mueller, uh, he he lived in Bristol, England. He's famous for caring for orphans and well-known for seeing God answer his prayers. He prayed for daily provision, and he saw it happen in this orphanage. But he believed that on top of, or aside from all the work and service that he had for the Lord, his greatest duty, his greatest business was getting his whole soul happy in Jesus. That was daily what he believed, experiencing the joy of the Lord. And he learned that the way to do that was through scripture and through meditation. He wrote this, the secret of all true effectual service is joy in God having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. But in what way shall we attain to the settled happiness of soul? How shall we learn to enjoy God? How shall we obtain such an all-sufficient soul-satisfying portion in him as shall enable us to let go of the things of the world as vain and worthless in comparison? I answer, this happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures. God has therein revealed himself unto us in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it, is to get to know Jesus and to get our soul happy in him. So in the study, the musing upon of Scripture, we come to know our God. We are are commanded, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one of the most effective ways to do this, in in this practice of meditation, I will tell you this, is, and and, and one of the best ways to keep it with you is memorization. Taking verses or passages or chapters or even books of Scripture and committing them to memory. Now, I know that may sound daunting, but it is doable and well worth it. I know I just railed on technology a a little bit. There's an app called Bible Memory that we have a group as a church that has some Bible passages on it. Uh, So have other ways of doing it. So let me just say this. If you need help starting memorization, just you're not sure exactly how to do it, please see me. Please see me. I have never regretted memorizing Scripture. Never. And if you think it's too late in life to begin... Baloney. It's not too late. It is never too late. I almost said poppycock. (laughs) It is never too late to start putting God's word into your heart. Never. Another way to meditate, to muse on scripture, is to pick maybe a single book. And, And this can be along with, obviously, our reading, but pick a single book. Pick Philippians. And read that book every single day for a month or a week or or whatever it is. Read it in different translations. Mark it up. Go over and over and over again. You can read through Philippians in probably 12 minutes. Just pick something and go through it over and over again. Think about those things. Write down what the text tells you about God. Start pondering those things more and more. I did this with Philippians a couple of years ago, and, and in one of the, that most famous passage, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, you know, begins with the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious, and then it says the Lord be with you. The, 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 that popped out to me after probably two and a half weeks of reading it, that it's the bookends of God with us that is the reason we don't have to be anxious. I've heard people say, that they've been told to to go out with one verse of scripture out into the woods and say, you have 30 minutes, you have to write down 30 observations. And they come back and and they report and, you know, some of them are like, I I thought I was done after two minutes. I didn't have anything. And they persevered and pressed through. And the person asked them and said, how many found the most significant thing in the first five minutes? No one raised their hand. How many found it in the last 10? Nearly everyone raised their hand. It takes discipline and, as the the Puritans would say, violence (laughs) to get to it. You can also simply meditate on different aspects of spiritual things. Okay, here's some topics that I think you could just take some time and meditate on. Look things up. Your own sin and corruption and what that really means and merits from a holy and just God understand our position, understand who we are by nature. You could meditate on the life and work of Christ, in particular his sacrificial death. You want something to memorize? Start with Isaiah 53. Or just read through Isaiah 53. That would be a great thing to just read through daily for a month. Meditate upon heaven. That sounds good. On on life with God when all is made right. Or or meditate on the transience of comforts in this life. Meditate on God's mercy and grace. There are so many subjects that we could take time to think over, to muse upon, to meditate upon. This meditation will pay off as you, you will find yourself someday in a situation where what you have learned, what you have meditated on, what you have thought about, the Holy Spirit brings to mind. He works through Scripture. He brings that truth to mind. And again, you will never regret putting it in your heart and mind. Renewing your mind by Scripture. And folks, in, in some ways, if you're pouring over Scripture, it's hard to go wrong with this. So, again, let me say this. Don't hamstring yourself with rules or techniques, but don't go without a plan. Start with a day a week. Start with something. Just Start and lay it out there. The key is to begin the work of meditation. Because even in Watson's day, when the Puritans were actually more known for this, he lamented the lack of holy meditation. He said, most people live in a hurry. Wow. Whew. They are so distracted with the cares of the world that they can find at no time to meditate. I, maybe when scripture says there's nothing new under the sun, it's actually true, right? or scarce can ask their souls how they do. We are not like the saints in former ages. Meditation is too much out of date among modern Christians. Now then, what does meditation do for us? Look back at at Psalm 119. Okay, verse 98. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. They bring us, it brings us wisdom. In 98 and 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers for or because or since your testimonies are my meditation. In 101 and 104, there is hatred of evil along with this resolve, uh, uh, development of resolve against the way of evil. In 103, our meditation on God's word will bring about, listen to, listen to this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It, it's, it's a movement from duty to joy. We will actually taste how sweet God's word is to us. The more and more that we see him as he is and under our, understand ourselves more and more, the sweeter those words will get. Both, Understanding ourselves as both more before we were saved by grace, but also the privileges we have as children of God. You know, we look through so much of it, of hope, joy, peace, the love of God, that we have access to the Father, all these things, as you can meditate upon those things. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, gave a few fruits of meditation. He looked at Psalm 1. Um, let's just read the, the first Four verses of Psalm 1 here. So you can flip to it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does is he prospers, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The first fruit that Keller pointed to is stability. Stability. The person who meditates upon and loves God's word, they are described how? As a tree planted by streams of water. So that even in in times of drought, even in times of difficulty and in, in the darkness of our life, there is no fear because the roots run deep into the stream into the nourishing presence of the stream and in the nourishing presence for us as we meditate on the Word and presence of God. And then he writes, of, there's, a, there's a substance of character that's developed. The one who meditates is alive and productive. Whereas chaff produces nothing and it, it is not growing as dead, the person who who meditates on God's word is like a tree that, that yields its fruit in its season. It remains alive. And he writes this. He says, Persons who meditate become people of substance, who have thought things out and have deep convictions, who can explain difficult concepts in simple language, and who have good reasons behind everything they do. Many people do not meditate. They skim everything, picking and choosing on impulse, having no thought-out reasons for their behavior. Following whims, they live shallow lives. The people who meditate can resist pressure, but those who do not go along with the throng, chaff-like, wherever it is going. You want protection from the winds of this world and the flesh and the devil? Meditate on God's Word. Trust Him. Know Him. Rest in His truth. And I think what Keller said would fit with what Watson would have said as well, that meditation makes the Word to profit as it is worked in our hearts. It's not, li- listen, when you eat, just simply putting food into your mouth doesn't do much. It's chewing it up and swallowing it, which actually brings the nutrition. You can chew on something all day and you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. You actually have to digest it. You have to take it in Watson says, so it is not the receiving the most excellent truths in at the ear that nourisheth our souls, but the digesting them by meditation. Meditation is like a soaking rain that goes to the root of a tree and makes it bring forth fruit. He actually used an illustration of preaching feels like preachers sometimes are like preaching to a sieve and we're just pouring wine right through it. Because We just hear it, but are we taking it in and meditating upon it? Because this doesn't apply just to your personal study, but every Sunday. Please don't leave here just thinking the message was nice and never think about it again. Meditate on the truth of God's Word. Meditate on that passage. Read through that passage. That's why we even send out stuff earlier in the week to say, this is what we're preaching on. So you can read through it. You can be prepared. We're starting 1 Thessalonians in a few weeks. You can start reading through 1 Thessalonians. Chew on the truth. Let it nourish you. And then as I was considering what meditation produces in our lives, I thought about a few things. How by it we gain a greater apprehension of the nature and character of God. Further, and I've probably already stated this in some manner, but it deepens one's love for the Lord and it will deepen our prayer lives. We will long to spend time with God. Our desires will be changed from simply wanting to be saved to wanting to be with our Savior. That's, I think, when we know the Lord has worked in us more and more. When it's not just, I I want my get out of hell free card, do I want to be with the one who saved me? Why do I chiefly desire heaven? It's because God's there. Why do I chiefly desire to spend time in God's word? Because in it I meet with my Savior. Sin will also become more and more repulsive. We'll lose the taste for it. It no longer will be sweet and in essence, this Psalm 1 says we'll be blessed, we'll we, we will stay away from evil, we'll be strong and secure, our affections will grow deeper for the Lord, and we will also see our minds renewed, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because every single day, uh, I had a friend who, who talked about it this way, like being renewed daily in our minds is like building up bricks in, in memorization, it's building up the wall because every day the world knocks that wall down and every day you have to build it back up. Now, in meditation, our goal is this, to behold and to know God. To behold and to know God, to commune with him, to worship. We are to ponder, to muse upon, to think deeply about and grow more and more in love with the one who is the truly blessed man of Psalm 1, our Lord Jesus. As we grow to know him, we will grow to rest in him, we will grow to trust him, and that will transform how we live. We will no longer rest our hope in trying to be that blessed man of Psalm 1 on our own, but we'll actually grow in praise by grace for being in union with the one who is the truly blessed one, the one who never faltered in daily taking delight in God. Folks, if Scripture tells us that the greatest gift we could ever have or want is Christ, then is there anything that should capture our attention more than what tells us about him? And I know we can answer that probably of no, there's not anything that should capture our attention more. But I think even part of this meditation is meditating on what is it that captures our attention so much more, so often? Because I wish this was truer in my life. And I pray it grows more true in all of ours. I realized as I was preparing this how little I meditate, actually. And, and I'm going to be adjusting, and I already have how I work on my Scripture memory. I'm going back to an old, more analog way that that I think is more helpful for me. And I'm doing it in order to be able to, 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 to meditate more. And my hope and prayer for our church is that we would be people who think deeply, who meditate on our God, and who, if we were pricked, we would actually bleed the Bible. Let's be those people by the grace of God as we long for him and meditate upon him in his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. It is a treasure. Lord, we have, probably most of us have so many treasures sitting on our bookshelves. Lord, may we pull them out. May we read and study. You have given it to us as a as a gift, as a wonderful gift. So may we be a people of the book, a people of your word, a people who who study and long for it because of who you are. May we come and behold in this the wondrous and glorious mystery of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.